0: Once Upon a Time Season 4 is over and has been for about a week and a half at this point, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom, one of the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap, and I am joined, as always, back from his own trip to the magical kingdom, specifically the one in Florida. It's the one and only Kurt Clark. Kurt, how you doing?
1: I am doing grand. How are you?
0: I'm good. So, how uh, can you sum up for the listeners quickly? How was your trip to your own, uh, your own realm, your own enchanted forest, if you will?
1: Uh, good. Yeah, I was down in Orlando for work, but I managed to fit in a trip to uh, to Universal Studios one evening and Epcot Center one afternoon. And actually, while I was at Epcot, at the um, anybody who's going there, as you enter World Showcase from Future World, there's two kind of shop pavilions right there. If you I believe camera I, I believe it's the one towards the left as if you kind of were heading clockwise around the lagoon and towards Mexico. I believe that shop has uh some wine in it, and they had uh Once Upon a Wine. Uh <laughs> and I, I almost and I almost bought it, but uh I was already um several drinks around the world at that point and I didn't want to have to carry a bottle with was me. Was it was so. it
0: red or white? It was red. Okay, that makes sense. It's probably yeah. made from distilled apples or something. Yes, I, I, yeah,
1: I don't think it was an apple wine. Uh, but it says something about a like big bad red wine or something like that. But uh, oh, it, 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 it,
0: too soon to mourn Red's veritable loss from the show to, to have that wine come out.
1: I think she's just in the kitchen. She she's she's been relegated from uh, you know front of house to. Uh, I guess <laughs> no, that's more. Of it, that's more. Yeah, I guess front front of house is that more of a theater term or more of a cooking term? No,
0: front of, front of house. I mean front of house is a theater term, but front of house is also like okay. you could talk about it for like hosting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think she's been doing, went from doing that to having to uh, maybe clean the clean the fryer.
0: Or maybe she's maybe she's distilling her own wine. Maybe we're to believe that that is Red's own uh, bootleg. Per, yeah, personally stomped wine.
1: Yeah. So yeah, if anybody's going to Epcot soon and you want the some souvenir wine that's reminiscent, uh, yeah, and I was also kind of checking out some of the other characters. Like, oh, we had I think in season five, we're going to see Dumbo. I mean, I was just kind of keeping my eyes open for what are those characters we haven't run into yet. So we can talk about that when we get.
0: To oh, that. yeah, we well, we definitely have a question about that. And I, I don't okay. know how they would fit Dumbo in there. But, you know, then again, if they, they got the Beauty and the Beast storyline in there, I think anything can really they got frozen in there. So I really think anything can happen.
1: Anything's yeah.
0: Anything is possible, which is one of the things that we love about the show. But here we are. As I talked about at the top, season four has ended about a week and a half ago and uh i first want to thank you guys you have beckoned to my call uh you have submitted a, a large amount of great feedback questions comments theories all that great stuff so we're gonna we're gonna get through as much as we can uh it's it's goes through, it goes through a few different categories i would say i say they kind of generally group around a few different types we have questions about the season four finale some lingering thoughts from that we have questions about like our season four as a whole, and we have questions about season five, the season coming up. And I think we kinda buried the lead here. Uh we I don't think we announced last week that a couple of weeks ago at the ABC upfronts, it was officially announced that Once Upon a Time is renewed for a fifth season, which means for Once Upon a Time, the Clark curse has been lifted. Kurt, you your heart your heart is white now. You're you're a free man.
1: Um unfortunately it has been pointed out to me on Twitter. But the Clark curse only applies to reality TV. Ooh. So my heart, my heart is still black.
0: Ah, uh, darn. Well, at least in the scripted realm, <laughs> you have the heart of the truest believer.
1: Yeah, and, I, and I, apparently it's uh, reality TV this side of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> so
0: any, so anything... No, I, I guess, doesn't uh, big, does big Brother Australia count?
1: Um, yeah, because that's technically still on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, just way, 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 <laughs> if you're going the long way around. <laughs>
0: all right so we we, i think we've we've come to some more general guidelines uh we've got some rules set up for the for the clark curse but you know what at least in this facet the clark curse has been invalidated which is great uh true love's tweet or true love's upfronts uh helped purge the world of that but it's great we have at least one more season i'm sure we're gonna talk a lot about a, what's coming up in that season and B, whether this should or will be the last season. But let's let's rewind a little bit here. Let's put ourselves back in the mindset of the season four finale. Now, I'm intrigued, Kurt. We're a week and a half out from the first time we viewed the finale and when we talked about it. Have your thoughts changed about it at all? Do you enjoy it more, enjoy it less, thinking about it once
1: more? Um, it, you know, it's It's hard for me to think about the finale. Without the context of what it means for season five. So, you know, as a whole, I don't think my thoughts have changed about it much. I mean, I enjoyed it. But I wouldn't say that I like enjoy it less or enjoy it more. So I'm, I think I'm pretty steady. Um, but my thoughts about what it kind of means for season five may have shifted a little bit. How so? Well, I wasn't happy with it and I wasn't I, how they decided to tee up season five. And I can't remember to what extent I alluded to this on the, our, our last, uh, our last show. But what I, I said, like, one of the things that specifically I like about once upon a time is the introduction of new characters. So I was like really into this, this back half of the season when we got, you know, the, the trio of, of villainesses. Um, and so I was, and I, and I was hoping that, we would get some sort of reveal that season five, the big, you know, potential new character slash you know uh, antagonist would be somebody that we hadn't thought of, like maybe Jafar comes in. You know, he was in, in Wonderland, but maybe he comes in for this. And so I was kind of disappointed that it seems like the main uh, antagonist is going to be Emma, whereas I would have preferred that it's somebody like some somebody's new character is introduced, but upon reflection i am actually like you know what i'll see how i'm more open to it now than i was i should be content that it looks like we're going to get uh more information about the character of the sorcerer which i'm sure we'll talk about um so i'm a little bit more bullish now and i was a little bit more bearish then so bullish on the upswing uh i'm looking forward to it more than i was
0: yeah I'm i'm more bullish as well Uh, So much so that I would even posit that in my opinion, I think that last season's finale is maybe one of the best episodes they've done in a long time. Uh, And it took me a while to really think about it and look back at it. But I I just realized and I don't know how much we even talked about this uh, last time we podcasted was that this finale harkens back to so much stuff that we loved about season one. You know, it's it's putting them back in the in the forest. It's it's you know we're seeing these characters in new places for the first time, as if we're meeting them again for the first time. Uh, We have this whole idea of Henry kind of trying to make everyone believe uh, what they're supposed to be, Uh, and there's there's a lot of different recurring themes going on as well. Uh, I granted, I don't know if the last twenty minutes really ties into that, but I thought the stuff in the enchanted forest, looking back on it, was actually a lot more fun than I initially thought. Maybe it was because once I kind of like forgave. Uh, A little bit of Henry's acting job, to be honest, Uh, I kind of looked at the bigger picture. I realized like, oh, actually, that was a lot of fun. And, it, you know, in considering how far we've come in these four seasons, where we started and where we are now, it's it's always really nice to go back to your roots and not in like a cheesy kind of way, like uh, like the final season of Glee might do. But I thought it was a really fun episode overall.
1: Now, when you say uh, the last season's finale, do you mean season four or season three? Season
0: four, I should say. good. Okay, I'm, I'm, speak, I'm okay. speaking in the in the as if we're <laughs> now in the nebulous realm between seasons four and five. Officially,
1: <laughs> the body's not even cold yet, and you're still calling it the last. Yeah, season. I'm, I'm Sorry, calling, I'm calling it
0: right now. Time of death. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, no, I, I I agree. It was. I think we even talked about this quite a bit last time. Was that it was very well structured, um, and I again, and I think I compared it we both compared that you're looking at season three and we are getting this theme now where, you know, the last two episodes are going to tee up. The last two episodes are going to act a little bit like a self-contained episode. We got that again here where instead of going, I guess it was kind of time travel again, to some extent, like they did at the end of season three, Uh, except this time it was, I think a lot bigger, a lot more grand and a lot more well-structured. And I think because in season three's finale, when you just had, you know, Hook and Emma going back in time, whereas everybody else was in modern times, you kind of got the sense that it was all going to be wrapped up nicely and then somehow by the end of it they were going to be back in modern times. Whereas here, I had a strong sense that they it was all going to be wrapped up, but I wasn't as certain that it was actually going to get all tied up by the end of the two hours. And I don't think I realized that until I reflected upon it uh, like a few days after the finale aired.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we and we did talk about last time about how I think we we felt this finale or the past finale. I guess if I'm speaking in my mortician's uh, series mortician's voice here, I I think that we found that the season four finale was a lot more structured and, flo- and flowed a lot easier than the season three finale, which definitely showed. And I think your reaction to that is one big indicator. Uh, so so diving into a couple questions here, uh, I brought up as we were piling through our season four finale. That at the very end, when the apprentice kind of purges Rumpelstiltskin's heart of all the darkness, and before it kind of the smoke kind of comes seeping out in its hexus like manner and starts to uh, you know find its way out into the into the the darkness, uh, we saw briefly that Rumpelstiltskin's heart had turned white. And here we have a question from a great Once Upon a Time fan and frequent contributor, and actually a couple times of. Here on this podcast. Brent Wolgamott asks, the show obviously made a point to show Rumpel's heart as white. What do you think is the significance of that? And if, quote unquote, evil isn't born, it's made, holds true, will Rumpel be able to stay on the path of light? Now, this ties a little bit into season five discussion, but because it's so centric on a, a component shown in the season four finale, I thought it kind of belonged here. Um, and now that we've kind of thought about what his his light heart or his his glowing heart might mean do you think that Kurt, would you do would you think that that means he's going to be completely good going into season 5 do you think this just means that he's going to be catatonic i know at the end of the season 4 finale the apprentice was just like he needs to rest a lot do you think that we're going to see like an up and adam rouble skin in season 5
1: i think we're going to i don't i don't think they're going to keep him in oh marion mode uh, and like kind of frozen on a couch somewhere where he's just healing for don't I, you, you know, mean zelena mode? sorry yeah i should have i should have yeah kept that in mind uh, but it may be for one or two episodes but I th- he's going to be you know back to full strength at some point for something but it's the, the funny thing is i i mentioned this during the the finale coverage is i didn't even notice that his heart turned white or that, that 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 was a thing and it completely slipped my mind in the intervening days and i didn't remember it again until just now so i actually haven't given it much thought but you know as you were asking the question the first thing that comes to mind is you know he was the the, the light one in the flashback period and he was go it would get back in the enchanted forest in this alternate reality that the author had created and in that you also had some traditional heroes who were now quote-unquote villains i think what we might very well see is that paralleled now. In Storybrooke, where if Emma is indeed going to uh, be the new Dark One, and she is this 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 force of evil, you kind of now have an, a strange counterpoint and the opposite of the side of the coin in Gold. If is, I think that it would be interesting to have him be uh, heroic and the I don't know if you want to call him the savior. Uh, that that's probably a lot of sacrilege, <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's, it would be interesting to, to see him as a force of good in Storybrooke. I think that would be a more interesting turn than Emma as a force for evil.
0: So, also, I kind of want to define these terms too because I believe we brought up the light one and the dark one, but there's also like the savior and the anti-savior, right? That's what we brought up for Lily and Emma. I wonder if Emma and Emma becoming the dark one, are those roles gonna collapse within each other or do you think we're we're gonna have roles that both Lily and Rumpelstilts can, can fill in kind of combating Emma?
1: I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting. Like I have no idea. Is this kind of the old, what happens when a, you know, immovable object uh, yeah, is met by, meets an immovable yeah,
0: object. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And in this case it's, well, a savior and dark one together in one person. I have no idea how this is going to actually impact how Emma evolves as a character. Um, I, I try not to think too much about the anti-savior. And yeah, I I don't, that's, I think that's the big question. I think that we could see the emergence of a light one potentially in gold. That's a possibility. Um, But I don't know what role if Lily is indeed an anti-savior and I I don't necessarily believe that she is. uh, I think that, she's going to be overshadowed by the savior being a dark one now. Well, so just, well I,
0: I think Lily's going to be on daddy dragon hunt for the majority of the yes. season anyway.
1: Yes. Yes, she is.
0: I, I just realized this too, Kurt. Weren't Rumpelstiltskin's powers associated with being the dark one? So therefore, if he is not the dark one, does he still have those magical powers?
1: Well, I think it depends on the, uh, you know, maybe because you can never, no one's ever really truly been purged of the darkness. Without, without dying, without dying. Maybe that's how a light one is created. So maybe there's still maybe there's still power in there, but it's just now for the force of good. I'm not sure. But you're but you're right. I mean, we haven't like we haven't seen a in the traditional storyline, a light one. Uh, and maybe this is the emergence of one. Maybe to become a light one, you actually have to have the darkness purged from you as the dark one. Uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see that. But that's a, that's a good catch.
0: Yeah, Rumpelstiltskin is literally embodying the darkness just before the dawn then.
1: Yeah, yeah, they they create a new position in the company and he's going to try out this new title. It's, it's never done, been done before.
0: Wow, corporate's making a lot of great decisions here. Really, really big go-getters in Once Upon a Time Season 5. Yeah, they're
1: restructuring uh, in, uh, in Storybrooke.
0: Wow, that sorcerer, he really, he's really bringing in some nouveau ideas here.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great at PowerPoint, I hear.
0: So let's field a Regina question here, and this is from Kat Smith, and I'll, I'll warn you, Kurt, you may want to get the whiteboard out, because it's it's a pretty long question, so you may want to take some notes as you move along, but let's dive in. Here we go. So we see alternate Regina exiled and living in the forest in Isaac's book, which I wouldn't consider to be a happy ending. And we also get the Regina fangirl asking Isaac if Regina will get her happy ending in the sequel. The premise of Isaac's book is that the villains get happy endings and the heroes get shafted. So my question is, does the fact that Regina didn't get a get written a happy ending? Never mind the alternative ending with the Robin Hood wedding. Does it conclusively prove that Regina has done enough to be considered a hero now? Emma seems to think so, as she didn't want the darkness to infect Regina and undo all her hard work at redemption. Or does the super fan wanting Regina to get a happy ending indicate that Regina can still be considered a villain, but perhaps not in the same tier as she might have, once might have been if she's not bad enough to warrant an A-plot in Isaac's book? So there's a lot to extrapolate there, Kurt, but I guess I'll try to boil it down to one key question. Looking back on Regina, both you know in this story arc the past few weeks and the entire season as a whole, has Regina become a hero? Uh,
1: well, I think we learned also from the finale that... You know it's not a black and white you know issue it's not it's, it's not a dark one light one it's not a dark and dark and dark one and light one issue i mean even you know you know snow white and sorry at that point mary margaret and david you know they talked about how you know mary margaret had this like this blotch on her heart but it's it's something that's kind of it doesn't really detract necessarily from her her heroicness um I don't don't know. I'm not sure if we're supposed to walk away from once upon a time with the message that yes, there are heroes and villains and that's cut and dry or you know what? It's a lot more nuanced. That's a lot more shades of gray. The the way that I kind of look at the book is the author wrote the story that gold wanted him to. And whether you're a hero or a villain, if you are against gold, you aren't necessarily going to get helped out in the book. The only quote unquote villains that got happy endings in the book were gold and Zelina, to some extent, even though the marriage ended up kind of falling apart at the very, very end or whatever. Um, So I think it was really just less so that, it's not that because Regina didn't get a happy ending, then therefore she's a villain, or therefore she's a hero. It's more like because Gold saw Regina as a nemesis in his plots and plans in, in the world, then he wasn't going to give her a happy ending as he directed the author to write.
0: Yeah. We have to remember that gold is the one that basically directed Isaac to write all this stuff. So basically we're we're reviewing whoever become who we're reviewing this alternate timeline from Gold's sort of warped point of view. And I think, I think definitely making Regina this kind of, I guess, would you call her an anti-hero
1: Kurt? Yeah, I think you would. I'm I'm normally not a fan of the the anti-hero, but I, but yeah, I think, I think it would. And I, and I, I co-signed that. It's, and I think I think Regina, or sorry, I think Emma, to kind of answer the the other part of the question, it, since you know throughout season one and like deeper into seasons two and three, is really trying to help Regina redeem herself. I mean, it doesn't mean that she's necessarily a hero now, but it's just kind of showing that you're you're more nuanced than simply being the evil queen or the evil mayor. There's a good side to you two, and I'm going to help that come out. And this is just further evidence that Emma truly believes this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Do you, do you go back, going back to Kat's point, do you feel that there are multiple, like, strata or layers to villains? Do we have, like, big, bad villains and then sort of, you know, sort of middle-tier villains and then lesser villains?
1: Um, you know, I, I subscribe more to the like, video game approach where there's boss levels, but then there's mini-bosses. Uh, um... Like you know, before before you beat Doctor Wiley and Mega Man, you have to go up against Cut Man and Electro Man and whatever. Um, but I I don't know if it's, if it's tears as much as like again Shades of Gray. It, there's there's nuances, and it's I think you know maybe maybe as you move along that spectrum, uh, you you have some of this completely evil. Uh, if you want to say that the true dark one is is like that, but as you move away from that that end of the spectrum. It's not that you're, it's, are you less evil or are you, are you just getting more good in you? So that's, that's, I think more of the way to look at it. It's just, if someone's a lower tier villain, it just might also mean that they're a higher tier hero than the other villains.
0: Yeah. I would almost compare it to like, there's a big ball of evil and it's sort of like a heliocentric solar system of characters around it, where some characters are closer to that big ball of evil and some are further away. Uh, And I would, I would say Regina has, has slowly moved away uh, though. She's been kind of moving away for like the past few few seasons. Uh, Arguably you could say that, I mean, obviously the spell of shattered sights changed things a little bit. And, you know, she had those couple of moments when, you know, she was really violent with uh, Marion slash Zelina and, you know, when she when she showed those kind of scary moments uh, this season, there was that little bit I rem- remember when we were trying to figure out, like, wait a minute, did she act? Is she actually still working for the heroes or did she actually turn? Uh, but I'd say for the most part, again, especially now that she has Robin Hood and she's fine. Uh, she'll, she's mo- she's moved farther away from that from that son of evil, uh, though I do wonder what her role then will be coming up here since i'm, I'm assuming if everyone's going to try to work together to help purge emma of this darkness what what sort of role she's going to play in that
1: yeah and i think i think we have to remember again like in i think one i think that one of the overarching messages of once upon a time is in books it's a lot easier to have a black and white world of heroes and villains and in fact that was i mean that was the name of the the book that that gold had isaac right But in the real world, in Storybrooke, in the rest of the world, it's not that simple. And everybody can do good and do bad. And it's maybe it's behaviors. What you decide to do, that's maybe the the good or the evil thing. But people can change. It's a lot more fluid than that.
0: Yeah, very much so. Let's segue here into our talk about season four as a whole. Now, I know. It has really seemed like ages, but Kurt, there was a full season four, uh, not just the the eleven slash twelve episodes of the latter half. Remember, there was a whole Frozen thing too. Do you remember Frozen, Kurt? You remember Ingrid?
1: Keep talking, Mike.
0: <laughs> so I'm going to start with uh, before we jump into uh, some of our listener questions, I'm going to start with a couple of general questions, and we'll start small in our work. I'll work our way out here, Kurt. What did you think about the latter half of season four in general?
1: I really liked it. Um, it's again, and, and my thing is new characters. I really liked the Maleficent, who wasn't necessarily new, but you know Ursula, who was you know ninety nine percent new, uh, and and Cruella, who was completely new. And I, I liked their introduction. And I, I know that you've expressed throughout the season that. You, at least my my interpretation of what you said is that you were kind of been a little bit disappointed that they fell by the wayside and that we were kind of promised this big you know uh, trio of evil villains. But I was actually fine with I, I, I never really viewed the the promotions or the marketing behind the beginning of the season as something that I expected to necessarily last the whole season. I was just more uh, looking forward to these new characters, and they lasted long enough for me to enjoy them and and I was fine that they kind of that actually ended up filtering out. I would have loved to have seen more Cruella but I think I was happy with the backstory that we got of her. Um, and I think it was actually quite a bold move to have her die in the show, uh, which is actually something that's quite rare in, in, in once upon a time. Um, given, given that Zelina's still alive. (laughs) Dead for now. (laughs) Remember,
0: I think we can now say if it happened to Zelina, it can happen to anybody.
1: Yeah. Except as you know, except Neil, apparently. (laughs) Except, yeah, that's true. I forget yeah, he was he was the big one. Uh, except that Cruella's powers are a lot more strictly defined than Zelina's, um, and, and like unless she lay, unless as she was falling, she called together a gaggle of squirrels to cushion her fall, and so she could just lay there uh, after plummeting off the cliff.
0: Yeah, actually, um, <laughs> um, I, I I saw an article online that actually traced uh the, the sound that Krilla was making as she fell off the cliff and she prom- she prominently yelled squirrels
1: Oh yeah <laughs> uh, I'm just
0: I'm just quoting the articles Kurt. Okay, okay.
1: So um, you yeah, know, I I'm pretty sure she she's gone but um I like I did like this back half of the season more than I liked the front half of the season. And that was only um because I wasn't a huge Frozen fan. <laughs>
0: Yeah, see, I'm, I'm going to have to take the other the other uh, point of view here. And uh, we can kind of segue into our talk about, you know, comparing the first half of the season to the second. Again, I'll say I think the, the second half to the season had a much stronger finish than the first half, even though the first half had those really, really great emotional scenes with, you know, Regina having to say goodbye to Robin Hood at the town line and then Belle sending Silskin over the town line. Those were a lot of fun. I would say that to, for me, the first half of the season was just, more well done, to be honest, than the second half. I mean, I'll echo what you said I've brought up multiple times, and I don't want to sound too much like a, a broken record, much like the one that Henry found in the shop when everyone disappeared. But I mean, it's it's it just bothers me that they not even the marketing materials that they they really set up like, you know, the form of Once Upon a Time is, okay, these are the big bads and they're gonna be the big bads throughout the season. They've done that with Peter Pan. They did it with Zelina. They did it with Frozen. They're gonna do it here. Except they don't. Um I think there were a lot of great components in the latter half of the season. I really liked this theme again as I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but I really enjoyed this theme of shades of gray, which we brought up before about how they keep talking about like heroes and villains, but you find out that heroes do bad things to make a good product and villains might actually be heroic but have, you know, they might be set by the course of fate to do bad things by default. So I really enjoyed that theme. I agree with you. I love the Cruella stuff. Sometimes it's just fun to know a person is bad just because they're bad. It, you know, once upon a time we so often get these tragic backstories of characters, and we didn't necessarily get that with Cruella, and that was fine. The other stuff was interesting. Uh, I, I, and I, you know, obviously talking about the finale, I liked what it culminated in, and I think it was a fun way to kind of talk about the mythology. Again, I would just say I think that the sum of its parts is kind of greater than the whole. If that makes sense, I think it's individual components are a lot of fun. But when you kind of put it all together, it seems a little shaky. Whereas I think while the Frozen stuff, granted, I think everyone was kind of rolling their eyes to begin with at the idea of having to tie in the Frozen stuff. I think they did a pretty good job explaining things and, you know, tying a good amount of the ensemble. in. I know we didn't get any Mary Margaret or David, uh, but they got their own little stuff in this second half. And I thought, you know, Ingrid was one of the best villains the show has ever seen. Uh, and, you know, Elizabeth Mitchell did a fantastic job playing her. And I think there it was like very it was very a lot more simple and straightforward. You know, you had like three basic plot lines throughout the season and that was it. And I, I personally enjoyed that more than the kind of twistiness, convoluted spaghetti that was the second half of the season.
1: And see, I like pasta um, <laughs> it and for me. And I do think the, the first half was probably structured better from a story but i think just in terms of like the characters i enjoyed watching and even it got into levels of ridiculousness i did enjoy the that's one of the reasons i enjoyed the second half uh more but which which did you enjoy less um petulant emma towards her parents in the second half or uh elsa continually you know telling people that she just wants to find her sister and then running off to look for her sister at random points during the first half.
0: (laughs) That's a, that's a good question. Uh, (laughs) maybe because I, I don't know because I, I, we got that. Like, I feel like we got with Elsa, we got that in like the first half of that half season, right? Like the first, I guess the first quarter of the season with Emma, we got it for like the last half of the season of the last quarter of the season. So I guess you kind of have to pick your poison there. I mean, I don't. I don't want to. I feel like there's a little bit of recency bias, just because uh, teenage Emma sticks out so much in my head right now that I would want to choose her as a default. I have to think back on like the way I have to put myself back in like October, Mike, to think about how annoyed I was at Elsa just constantly staying in that one dress for three months and talking about how she needs to find her sister.
1: Yeah, I. I I think for me, I was much more annoyed by Emma's anger at her parents, Um, but. It, I mean, just but it got to the point of kind of, you know, satirical ridiculousness in, in that I was looking forward to every time that they would cross paths to see if she was still in a snotty mood.
0: Yeah. To have to have the, the three of them in the same scene just to see how Emma reacts
1: to it. Yeah. Always always something to look forward to.
0: So then, Kurt, how can we compare season season four to the rest? Now, I'll give you two options here. You can either rank the four seasons one two three four or you can do like one two three a three b four a and four b since like since like like three three and four have like they're pretty much like four seasons in their own right
1: yeah they are um i think i would have to rank season one first
0: yeah i agree with that Uh, I i think as as frustrated as we were at the time with them like doing nothing for so long and us just kind of yelling at the tv saying like figure out who you are i think looking back on it they they took their time a lot and they they built out such rich characterizations of the entire town that i think granted where we looking back from where we are now i think it was a luxury that we uh didn't we did we didn't know what we had till it's gone
1: right um i think i might even have to put season two second just oh, because interesting. just because Honestly, I don't remember a lot of season two. Greg, I and, really... Greg and Tamara.
0: Lacey. <laughs> um,
1: oh, now you put it that way. <laughs> Lacey, Kurt. Well, Lacey. <laughs> well, Lacey was only in like a few episodes and Greg and Tamara weren't. Well, no, you know what? Um, I actually liked Greg and Tamara. Uh, and we and. Yeesh. Gosh. I'm still going to go season two because it was it, it it followed from season one. It kind of it, it 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 didn't start feeling like let's shop the season in half. Let's try to make a cohesive whole season. Um, I would then have to go season three uh, B four B four A three A.
0: Yeah, I'd probably do something similar, actually. Uh, Cause I think there were uh, uh, some good portions of season two. I think they were still trying to figure things out. Hence why in season three, they stuck to the, but I think we, we, what we figured out was that seasons three and four have kind of stuck to the strict semester, like uh plot <laughs> threads. Whereas like season two seemed to funcus, focus, focus more of like a trimester thing when it was like, first it was, you know, Mary Margaret and Emma in the enchanted forest. And then it was Cora came out and did stuff. And then it was Greg and Tamara. Uh, so, but I'd still enjoy, I enjoy a lot of facets of season two. Um, I would probably, I might, I'm juggling between like three B and four A personally. Uh, but either way, I would go I, those two, and then probably four B, and then three A is last. No, no offense to those of you that love the uh, the Neverland arc out there, but if you li- if you listen to Kurt and I cover season three, you know we are not fans of
1: it. It's a beautiful world because we can all have different opinions, right, Mike Bloom?
0: Exactly. That's what makes the world go round. <laughs> it's a small world, after all.
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> did you go
0: on that when you went down? I did not go to Magic
1: Kingdom. I just had one evening, one one afternoon and evening, so I only, I only hit Epcot.
0: Well, you actually probably experienced a real-life version of It's a Small World then, because you That's literally true. went around the world in an
1: evening. Yes, yes. I wa- my, my feet are still sore.
0: So let's jump into some listener questions here about Season 4. Uh, we have a few questions from a, a great listener He wrote in SMY247. SMY writes, After four seasons of Once Upon a Time... Has the series jumped the shark or does it still captivate your interest? <laughs> Similar to Lost, would the show benefit from determining an end point to the series, uh, bringing the series to closure with a large overarching storyline? Or do you see the show jumping from half season to half season arcs until the show gets canceled? And I'll I'll sort of uh, loop in another question similar to this from Becky, that says now that Emma is the Dark Swan, is it time for ABC to send an end date for Once Upon a Time? Are there other big stories they can tell once Emma becomes the savior again, or will it just be more of the same? I don't really want the show to end, but it's hard to keep the stories new and interesting after four years and multiple villains and curses. So they're both kind of asking the same question here, Kurt. Let's, let's try to put on our forecaster hats here. Do you feel that Once Upon a Time is starting to run out of steam? <sighs>
1: You know what as as long as i don't i don't I don't feel like it quite has yet um, I think once what there's always going to be things in the Disney franchise and then just general story franchises for for them to follow through on, and so I think at this point they they're cruising along but I don't think they're accelerating, but I also don't see them slowing down necessarily.
0: Mm-hmm. So you think that they're just kind of like at a cruising altitude, like there's nothing that's really going to, there's really, you, you might not. there's nothing that's really going to like heighten them and build them up to huge acclaim. There's nothing that's really going to bring them down. They're sort of riding the average.
1: Yeah. I, I can't see them doing something that, that ends up being earth shattering in the upcoming seasons, but I also don't, I don't necessarily see it being the final season.
0: Yeah, I I think there are benefits and drawbacks to doing this half season approach, because I think the benefit is they don't have to try to stretch out like the Frozen story for 22 episodes, because that's crazy. And they even struggled to do that in season two when things were a lot looser. But that being said, I think it causes for a lot more. Uh, of like a headache almost i don't want to use the term headache but it seems i think sometimes viewers are very like wow that was a lot i i'm okay if i'm if i'm without a little once upon a time for a little bit just because it's a little bit of whiplash in terms of they're throwing so much at you because they only have to squeeze it into 11 episodes so in doing so i think they're kind of they may be fatiguing their listeners a little bit and luckily I i don't i don't think anyone out there Listening, including ourselves, are that fatigued that we're like, okay, we're done with the show. But you have to wonder, you know, is, is the audience in general the casual fans of Once Upon a Time, I guess. I know Kurt and I have discussed casual oh. votes.
1: We're in a uh, house. No,
0: (laughs) it's called coming back, Kurt. This is your, uh, this is your war flashback. Uh, Um, I, I think that maybe with some of the more casual fans, they might start saying like, okay, I've seen a lot with this show. It's basically like seven seasons worth of material already. They might just say, okay, uh, I'm, I'm good on this one.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, your typical jump the shark moment is where things just have gotten so ridiculous that, you can tell that it's spiraling out of control. And I can, I can kind of see how some people might think that this, this last back half of the season with the spaghetti mess that you described could potentially be seen as that, but it also seems to fall like right in line with, with just the, uh, I don't want to say that the show is wacky, but it does, there's, but it does have, it's like, re- it's kind of more outrageous moments due to the, the magical element of it. I mean, a, it hasn't gotten to like the classic jump the shark tropes of you know you know same character, different actor or actress in terms of um well no it has. It has with Robin Hood, but they yeah. explained it away. They explained it away. <laughs> they already jumped the shark. <laughs> no, 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 because remember the Robin Hood the Clover, he made himself look different. Um uh, you know, the whole Marion's not the whole character back in the dead, the whole Marion's Lena thing. That's pretty damn close. Yeah, that's. So, I, would,
0: I would argue that may be the closest to the show coming to Jump the Shark, just because I'm, I'm, I know I'm, a lot of people, I think including ourselves, were like, oh, that was a cool twist, but I think across the board, everyone was a little bit, WTF, where did this come from?
1: Yeah, so, um, but it just doesn't necessarily, for me, feel like it's Jump the Shark yet. I think I think we've still got some mileage in this car.
0: And I would say, I mean, even just doing our series rankings a few minutes ago, I think we both. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Kurt. If I'm speaking out of turn, that I think we feel that season four was an improvement upon season three as a whole.
1: Uh, yeah. As a whole, as much as I liked the back half of season three, the front half really dragged it down for me personally. Yeah,
0: that's 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 that's, <laughs> so that's the ball to the chain. <laughs>
1: um. So yeah, it's uh. The fact that I think we enjoyed I think we enjoyed four more than we did three overall. And I think to your to your point, it's hard to kind of say that, oh, therefore it has jumped the shark. It doesn't really necessarily fly. Yeah.
0: And the point I was going to make is that if it's if by ours, you know, by our standards, it's sort of on the on the upswing then I would not predict it to come to an end next year. Maybe the year after and may end after season six. I forget, you know, some of these long running ABC shows like Desperate Housewives tend to go on for a long time without people even realizing it. So I wonder if if Once Upon a Time can get to like season seven, eight without people even, you know, if it has its like devoted community and nobody else really pays attention to it.
1: As much as I hate to say it, if this like, any potential in theater Disney hit has the potential to breathe new life into a new season.
0: Even is there going to be an Inside Out themed season of Once Upon a Time?
1: To, or <laughs> Tomorrowland? Or, uh, <laughs> they, they, or go to,
0: they go to Disney World in the next season of Once Upon a Time?
1: Yeah, Escape from Tomorrowland. Um, it's I, I just I think there's just always new options for them to explore it almost feels a little bit like they've committed to season five i kind of whereas and i know they have to film like they have to take the time to film it but it's almost like i'm watching season four they get to the end of it and i kind of want them to put the pump the brakes a little bit take the summer to think about where you want season five to go and then come back to us. But they don't have the luxury of doing that from a from yeah. the time to do that. Because they actually have to film it.
0: Yeah, um, it's, it's tough, though, when they have to, like... I feel bad for some of these, like... You know, it's, it's the tough things you have to juggle when you have a writing staff of bringing in different people to write different episodes. Because someone could say, like, oh, at the end of Season 3, someone walks out of the barn where the portal was, and it turns out to be Elsa. And then, like, okay, you guys are writing Season 4, Episode 1. They look at what happened, they're like, wait... How are we supposed to explain this? <laughs> what the exactly. hell do you want? Okay, I guess a giant snow monster comes alive, and they try to attack it.
1: Yeah, it's it. Uh, not not exactly sure. Like I said, not sure where they're going to go, but they have plenty of places they could go. And it's it's like they're they're not lacking of source material, and the fact that they're not trying to necessarily create a a long journey of a storyline like lost in very it's not it's not episodic like a you know law and order sort of thing but they, like we, we point out it's you, you kind of have a self-contained book in every semester uh so I, I think as long if they kind of keep sticking to that approach and they figure what it's worked they have a lot of ways they can go it just depends on how long they keep the interest of the, the public and uh, i think that that interest is going to be there for a while
0: I I would say that the fan community for Once Upon a Time is not unlike the fan community for Survivor a little bit in terms of, I think it had a huge uh, critical praise when it started, and then it kind of dropped off, and now it has its very dedicated, hardcore group of fans that will follow the show to the ends of the earth, and I think the producers... They I don't think the producers are really at this point looking to bring in new viewers. I think they're just saying, "Okay, we have who we have. Let's just continue to make our product." And I think that's a I think that's a good way to market it because I think the more they try to warp and change things to appeal to a more general audience and try to bring back people who were first adopters to the show, I think the more they're going to kind of go against their own ways.
1: Yeah, although the it's interesting like the back half of season 3, the back half of season 4, that's where really where they promoted and introduced and marketed new villainous characters that are entering the series in kind of a way that anybody could come in at this point with Zelina. I remember them kind of promoting her uh, on, on TV and that, and I it almost, it almost brought me back back when, when that was actually airing. And even now they, as they, you know, they were really pushing Cruella and Ursula and, and Maleficent. And I think maybe those sorts of things are the things that they could do to get in new viewers. And that's, I think, one of the interesting choices by having Emma be the villain is it doesn't mean anything when to somebody who's not watching the show. And so it, they kind of do miss an opportunity there to bring in new viewers with a recognizable new character that makes it seem as if you could potentially come in without having to start with season one. Um, so it, it'll be... It, it's... Like I said, they may, they may not be looking to bring in new viewers, But I think that there are opportunities for them to do so at the beginning of every season.
0: Let's uh, take a question here from the great Jessica Frey. I guess not even a question, more of her general thoughts. Uh, She's a big Emma fan, and she kind of went on to talk a little bit about how in season three, uh, the the theme for Emma was kind of there is no place like home and how Emma, by the end of season three, granted, I, I feel like it was a little shoehorned in for that little two hour episode. But she eventually finds home or home being Storybrooke, and she finally feels like she's at home and she equates season four Emma to be about Emma you know learning magic and being comfortable in her own body almost like a, a sort of uh, magical puberty if you will and I think we made that comparison before but now she's comfortable enough where she can fully embrace her role and she actually brings up another good point even separate from Emma that we didn't bring up in our uh, season finale podcast maybe it flew past us but That old prophecy that that really creepy seer gave to Rumpelstiltskin about Henry being his undoing, it sort of came to fruition in the season finale, didn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, in as much as the only person who wasn't impacted by the... I mean, he... Due to... I'd say it was really more emma and well no because he ended up writing the book he's sorry sorry henry ended up becoming the author yeah um yeah i guess it did
0: yeah i just i thought that was yeah. interesting and i don't even know if the writers intended it because i'm i'm i still think yeah. that the larger purpose <laughs> behind the whole henry will be our undoing thing but i think it's interesting that like maybe maybe gold will think like okay i'm off the hook now this is what that's what he meant right and then henry will do a much worse thing that's literally his undoing
1: yeah because technically uh his undoing well no technically he hasn't been undone if unless it was talking about undoing his uh reign as the dark one then he was kind of his own undoing because it was through all of his actions that his heart became black or technically it was the uh, sorcerer's apprentices was was the sorcerer's apprentice was his undoing because he was the one that purged the darkness from his heart so I mean, there's lots of different ways to to look at but i, I can I, I, I kind of agree that I don't think that, that the authors necessarily uh, thought back to that prophecy as they were penning the the closing episodes to the, this, this season. But it was kind of a happy coincidence that Henry was a major contributor to at least Gold's uh, darkness being purged from his heart.
0: Okay, Kurt, you brought up Henry as the author, and that segues perfectly into another question from SMY247. Prior to season four, many people have speculated that the series would conclude with Henry becoming the new author. With that plot point already achieved, what would you project to be the story arc for Henry now and where is his, where his character is going? Is the life expectancy of the show predicated on Henry staying young? If Henry undergoes a major adolescent change a la Walt in Lost, will the show accommodate it with a time jump, or will Henry get written out of the show a la Bobby Draper? Uh so for those of you that don't get that reference, uh Actually, Jared Gilmore did get Bobby Drapered. He got, uh, so he has a chance of being double Drapered here. Uh, he was written out of Mad Men because he either grew up or he was just awkward, which he kind of was on Mad Men, but purposely so. Uh, but I guess that question is kind of twofold, Kurt. First, do you feel that? where do you think the story is going to go now that what a lot of people have predicted to be the final moment of the series has already happened. And then a sort of a, a second point in which I guess is from more of a production standpoint, if Henry grows awkwardly in age again, how do you think the show is going to compensate for that?
1: Well, I think he's actually growing at a pace that's appropriate. he's, he's, I think luckily he's at a point where he's from an age perspective is, you know, Going not going to be going through magical puberty, but he's going you know through regular puberty, and I I, I think it, it, it it's fine for that character to grow up, and he's we've seen him get older, we've seen him mature on the show. I think that as he be you know goes into his late teens, I think it's actually perfectly fine for him to, to remain a character on the show. He can as finally he ages. He can drive
0: now. Yeah, you know, he had some good practicing there driving out of town yeah. to show off those polaroids.
1: Yeah, I mean. It was. I but with Bobby Draper, like you're kind of had kind to of keep him young, and and I think even with, with with Walt a little bit, but I don't think there's any danger in the Henry character aging. Um, I, I, everybody else in the show is also aging, and and I, I think he's at a point where it's going to be a little bit more graceful, and even if he does kind of you know shoot up a foot or well, or I'm just
0: gonna say I hope he's I, I'm hoping he's through puberty at this point, because he if he's still going through puberty, he's going to be like seven feet tall. He's already he's taller than he's almost as tall as Lana Perea at this point. He's what, like 15?
1: Yeah, it's I think I think that he can get I think he can can, can continue to age on the show. And his character is there's no reason why he, the character can't age along with the the actor.
0: Yes, the um, next season of Once Upon a Time will feel the magical character of the human ladder played by Jared
1: Gilmore will now in, in terms of, are people were people predicting that the Henry being the author would end the series or the season
0: I think that according to SMY they said that, I guess people have theorized for a while that Henry becoming the new author would be the series finale
1: um you know I'm I'm curious. well obviously obviously it isn't um <laughs> The I mean I'm not like trying to like you know shut down the question but I think that, I mean that's so that didn't happen but he did become the author where does that end up going now it's I don't know it's interesting because I think that it it kind of left that status a little bit unclear at the end because although Henry broke the pen uh, I think you know he's he's still the author he really just kind of destroyed the magic abilities of changing the story. And again, I still go back to what we were talking about in the finale coverage where, you know, if you don't want the author to have the power to change the stories, then don't give the author the power to change the stories. Because, um, you know, all the other authors like Walt Disney and William Shakespeare, they didn't change the stories. It was their job and their role uh, as storytellers to spread the stories and to yeah, tell that's, the stories. that's so, what they do. Yeah. And so I don't think that just because Henry broke the magic quill uh, that he is necessarily relieved of his author duties. So I'm interested to see as one of the things going into season five is how those responsibilities evolve. Does he does he start writing books? Does he do anything or did he actually give up the mantle? and and, And by doing that and which doesn't necessarily make sense to me.
0: Yeah, that's I. Like again, like there always has to be a dark one. I feel like there always has to be an author. I don't. I feel like it, even yeah. it, even though he broke the pen, the position just doesn't go into the ethos. And I feel like there's going to be a moment in season five a where the characters are going to turn to Henry and be like, "Well, if you kept the pen, you could have written this evil character out anyway."
1: Yeah, I think that. I mean, if he did break the pen and is no longer the author, then my assumption is that the the sorcerer's the apprentice then goes out and finds the next author. Um, so I, I'm just not entirely sure where this is going to go and that's one of the things i look forward to for season five
0: yeah i i think that speaking towards uh the initial, initial question of where's henry's story arc gonna go i think because emma is the dark one i think he's gonna be one of the main people at the forefront of the let's you know let's uh let's purge my mother of this darkness you know, let's perform the the exorcism here. Uh, I guess he'll be the young priest. Uh, I I think that yeah, I I think that his his relationship with his mother is going to be more focused on because again, that really wasn't talked about this season at all. I feel like Emma was doing her own stuff, figuring out who she was. Uh, I feel like the her and Henry stuff was really more season one.
1: Yeah, and it's and Henry's kind of at the point where he's comfortable having two mommies. Yeah, and 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 it's the point where it's awkward where when he. It seems kind of forced when he refers to both Regina and Emma as mom. Every time he he says, no, I understand, mom. It just doesn't sound right coming out of his mouth. Yeah,
0: four seasons slash like what feels like seven seasons, and it still doesn't sound right.
1: Yeah. So let's, I
0: mean, we're talking season five. Let's segue into some season five specific questions here. I'll start with one from Katie Higginbotham. She says, considering the finale pointed to next season's main story arc being around Miss Black Swan what other non-core characters do you think will be introduced and in what capacity? So this is kind of what you were alluding to before, Kurt, with your, uh, your Dumbo prediction. So you spent <laughs> some time down in the Magic Kingdom. Coming back here, do you have any predictions of you know characters that will probably be brought in, like you said before, for this one story arc? They might be Disney-related. They might be associated with other works of literature, as we saw from Dr. Frankenstein. But could, do you have any predictions for characters that we might see in this first half of season five?
1: I, I don't. Um the just because the the genre is so broad, it could be anybody. And I and I purposely avoid casting spoilers, like so and so cast as so-and-so. I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't seen that. So it like I Dumbo not a prediction, although it would be awesome. Um and we know that uh that Merlin is going to be a character. And we actually had a, a comment on Twitter slash question from uh, Jeffrey K saying, "Do you think we will go full Camelot, Camel, full Camelot next season?" Uh, so I think that is a possibility. If you if you've got if if it involves trying to find Merlin in order to save Emma, you potentially have all sorts of Arthurian characters uh, that you could bring into it, from Guinevere and Arthur to Morgan le Fay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know it. it It's you could easily delve uh, into that Um, was not it hmm, was the Black Cauldron Disney. Yes. Uh, You I I think that'd be too close in genre a little to to the the, the tales of King Arthur. Um, So I think if anything, but it's it's going to be things that are maybe, you know, Merlin related. Um, that that that's really the only thing I have to go on. I don't think it's going to be Dumbo. I don't think it's going to be The Rescuers. I don't think it's going to be you know The Great Mouse Detective. Uh, there's I mean there's all sorts of things that couldn't be. Uh, you know we we haven't really seen you know uh, Aladdin slash Jasmine um, in 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 this Storybook in the, in this timeline. That that could be something that we end up potentially seeing. Maybe that's the way they go. So it's one of the big ones that Aladdin is one of the big ones that they haven't really explored in the modern day, uh, in, the, in the, main show. I and mean, we have some, we had definitely, we had Jafar in, the, in yeah. the once upon a time wonderland, but maybe, maybe exploring some of that in the main show, but it's, it's hard to really predict it could. And that's one of the things I, I like the first opening at the first few episodes of every season or half season, because that's where you're most likely to get new characters.
0: Yeah, I I would say, kind of going back to the whole when will the show end question, I don't think the show will end until we get an Aladdin storyline because we've covered a lot of big movies from the Disney renaissance between Little Mermaid, we had Beauty and the Beast stuff. The only ones we really haven't taken care of are Aladdin and The Lion King. Lion King is a little... Hard to do unless they have a lion <laughs> turn into a man. Uh, but I think Aladdin is something that they really haven't covered yet. I that being said, I would not be surprised if we got a Twitter notification that Kurt will ignore that says Naveen Andrews is returning to the role of Jafar for Once Upon a Time season five. Just because if this is going to become about magic and kind of these dark sorcerer types uh, between Merlin and the sorcerer himself, I would I would be I wouldn't be surprised if Jafar came back. I do agree with you that you know. They will definitely go to Camelot, though. Maybe we shouldn't go to Camelot. It is a silly place. Uh, but <laughs> I, th- I think we will go to Camelot. Uh, and that kind of ties into a question later on. But I think that's where the... I think that's going to be our like new world, quote-unquote, for, yeah. for the... Because I feel like if they don't introduce new characters, they usually go to a new world.
1: It'll be interesting to see if they kind of incorporate it into the world of the Enchanted Forest. I mean, Arendelle was even though they looked at the enchanted forest as misthaven it was still all in the same world you didn't have to start traveling to other quote-unquote worlds until you went to oz or until you went to wonderland or until you went to frankenstein's realm uh dr frankenstein's realm um and so if, if it'd be interesting with camelot is it another world or is it a another part of the world we already know of the Enchanted Forest and Arendelle and, and all those places. I,
0: I think it's the latter because I'm trying to remember back to season two, because let's remember. Oh, yeah, we season forgot. two we was had- lot, and season three. Yeah. There was that kind of hokey story flashback with uh, the sword in the stone, the stone. With it, which is which yeah. was an, obviously an easy traveling, di- traveling distance from Misthaven. So I can only assume yeah. it's sort of like the it's sort of like the dawn of uh, of Misthaven in terms of like it's it might a- be just <laughs> off in the corner somewhere kind of doing its own thing.
1: That's true. Yeah, you're completely right. It, it would probably be there. You're, that 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 is correct. I wonder. Um, Mary Poppins. Maybe we'll get some Mary Poppins. Yeah, I can just
0: imagine they're right. the, they, our heroes are in the direst <laughs> of situations. They're literally up against the wall. People are ready to kill them, and then suddenly you hear like a woman just flying in on an on an umbrella. She's throwing spoonfuls of sugar at everybody. Uh, chimney sweeps come out and start beating them with brooms. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be madness out there, Kurt.
1: Sorry, right, Disney Tourettes. I'm just suddenly like throwing at Dumbo. Oh, Mary Poppins! D- Disney uh, Tourettes
0: is is probably the best type of Tourettes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Chip, Chip, Tree. Um, <laughs> it, so, yeah, it, bed knobs and broomsticks. Probably not going to get that. I'm still going down like the list of like the Love Bug. <laughs> yeah, we. Can, well, you know what? At one point, I did think that uh, we were going. I remember one of the the opening credit shots. We did have Emma's beetle uh, kind of driving through that 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 scene of the forest that they have during the credits and honking. I was like, are we getting a Herbie, the love bug tie in?
0: Oh, um, that, that would be the jump, the shark moment.
1: <laughs> it, it very well might be. It, I mean, i really, honestly, that's probably the easiest one to incorporate because, because there's uh, a bug already in the there's already bug. Something happens where, where it gets imbued with magical life. And the moment you do that, the moment, just like Cruella's car kind of drove itself, uh, or at least was, yeah, or maybe it was driven remotely by, by Cruella. If, this, if that ever happened to Emma's you know, yellow bug, suddenly, boom, it's Herbie.
0: And then Lindsay Lohan just wakes up in the trunk.
1: <laughs> if it's a Tuesday, that's probably what she's doing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little more black swan i actually really like that nickname uh but seems like other people are coming out with great ones too uh including liz erwin who has this question about that regarding the dark one it seems that rumple wasn't really changed that much by the dark one but instead gave him courage to be as good or bad as he wanted rumple has long ago shown us he still has his full capabilities to choose who he wants to be so my question is do you think the writers will take this opportunity to just have evil campy emma with phasers already set to kill or do you think it will be more about tempting Emma into indulging the darkness? So Liz brings up a couple things here. She believes that Rumpelstiltskin was not changed too much from becoming the dark one. He has not become this all evil, powerful being instead. I think it just imbued his personality more and magnified it a little more. Um, so if we're going with that logic and becoming the dark one, theoretically, the same thing should become happen to Emma. She may not become completely possessed with darkness If that is true, do you think it's going to be about, you know, Godzilla, Emma smashing buildings in Storybrooke? Or do you think it's more going to be about Emma's kind of on the precipice and they're trying to keep her from succumbing to that dark side?
1: I I think it's going to be personally, I think that it's going to be Emma making a lot more decisions out of pure self-interest. And uh, not taking into account how it might impact other people. I mean, we saw that everything that Gold did was driven to, was was kind of fueled by this desire for power. And he chose to get, so that the, that power was pure selfishness in terms of his drive. How he chose to achieve that power, sometimes it hurt other people, sometimes it didn't. But it was all about self-promotion. And so again it, it's it's really potentially subtle so it's more what is actually going Emma going to be driven by I I have a feeling that that drive in her goal and her her objective in storybook or in life is going to be on the dark side so to speak I think it she is going to have um, dark intentions how she chooses to achieve those intentions like if she's got an ultimate goal of uh, let's let's say it you know, making a storybook completely inaccessible from the outside world once and for all, and permanently, and no one can get in and no one can get out just randomly. Just to say that her, that's her goal.
0: I mean, that's, she- that's they gotta set that up at the top, right? I feel like they do that every half season. Somebody yeah. sets up some sort of barrier to prevent people from getting out of the town,
1: right? Or I mean, I mean again, and even if it's not that, we like will probably they may. We may not know as, as viewers what her actual goal is during the first few episodes. that may, might be part of the mystery. What is Emma actually up to? Like we usually with Gold in any given season, we never really knew what his final plans were until like, you know, most of the way through the season. But let's say just randomly, that's her goal, complete exclusion internally, not externally. How she chooses to get there, the means by which she chooses to achieve that are, are, are where her decisions are going to be. So I think she's going to have a dark objective and a dark goal um and, and dark intentions, but the path that she chooses to achieve that goal is going to be a series of choices that she's gonna have an internal battle. Like do I screw over this person, this person, this person, or do I maybe make it a little bit tougher for myself, um, still get take a few steps towards that dark goal, but I don't necessarily hurt these other people. So I, I that that's how I think it's going to be. She's going to have dark intentions the decisions she makes to achieve those dark intentions are what going to be the the temptation in the series.
0: I'm going to make a bold prediction here. And I'm going to say that Emma is going to kind of disappear for the first few episodes of the next season. I think it's going to become a thing where like everyone in town is looking for her, but she kind of made herself disappear when the, when all the, when Hexus swirled around her and now she's sort of like hiding in recluse in the forest and doesn't want anyone to come to her. And of course they will eventually. And that's when, uh, the proverbial dung will hit the fan. But I think that in the first few episodes, she's going to kind of live almost like, you know, Quasimodo in a bit of like, you know, wanting to hide herself away because she feels herself, she feels like she's going to be a monster when she's put in contact with other people.
1: There's another one we didn't think about. by the yeah, way, um, But you know what, if, if she, if, if the plot point becomes where did Emma go and how do we find her? you know that Once Upon a Time cannot sustain that for more than two episodes. And by the third episode, we will see her.
0: Yeah, well, especially because Jennifer Morrison, again, is the first name on the cast uh, when the credits come <laughs> up. I know that she's had definitely had episodes where she's taken a step back and has become more of the supporting role. But I mean, the show is still veritably about Emma.
1: Yeah, it's uh, uh it, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, to see how it goes. I mean, the I mean, question is like, do we see where she goes at all, or is she completely, is she completely absent?
0: Yeah. So jumping back a little bit to possible storylines for the fifth season, we have another question from Smy two four seven, with King Arthur and Camelot appearing to be thematically prop to be, appearing to be thematic property slash background for season five. Do you think the show producers and writers will make a permanent transition towards more standard fairy tales and folklore? Has the historical Disney property been exhausted or will the next hit Disney movie switch the themes and storylines back to it a la Frozen? I think we kind of answered the second question already, but I'm intrigued, Kurt. Can you think of any like Frankensteinian uh, classic literature that could be associated and and brought in for a Once Upon a Time story arc?
1: I mean, there are lots of... You, you you kind of got you know several different things. There's very few original Disney movies. I mean, almost everything was a pre-existing story or fairy tale in some form or manner. Not everything, but damn near everything. Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty. I mean, all you know, Beauty and the Beast, The Little Mermaid. You know, whether it was the Brothers Grimm or Hans Christian Andersen, lots of the properties existed before Disney did something with it. And there are there are obviously exceptions. Um, to that point, there are still a lot of, you know, classic fairy tales that uh, have not been touched or explored by Disney. That's one route it could go. And things like uh, The Princess and the Pea, for mm-hmm. example, um, uh, you've got you know, non you've, you've got things that actually had a, a very, very strong life of their own prior to Disney getting their hands on them, like knights like the, the, the Arthurian legends, you know, they, Disney made the Sword in the Stone, uh, so they they have you know some history with with that as well. Um, and so, but that also Arthurian legend is still is a huge uh, area of folklore that you don't necessarily associate with Disney and in, in the first place. And then you've got the things like you're talking about, that you brought up with with Frankenstein. Um, I'm trying to, think. I mean, you have potentially you could potentially dabble and in, into. Uh, you know Greek and Norse mythology. Mm. Um, I mean, with Norse mythology, you get a little bit into like Thor yeah. and some of the marble stuff, so you may want to stay away from that. Um, but I, I could see them completely. You know, having well, we we saw that they had to they had to battle. Um, uh, 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 I can't remember if it was referred to specifically as Medusa or just, it was, or as just, it just was, like it Gorgon. Medusa, yeah. So they've done that a little bit before, and even like well, you know, Neptune. Is Roman mythology not Greek mythology? Um, but they so they they when he was you know classically uh, uh, that that was that was uh, Ariel's father right Neptune? That,
0: yeah, I think there, there there was Triton as well, and Triton is considered Triton. by some to be like yes. under Neptune, I think, or uh, might yeah, be the sea right. god in other in other areas. I don't. know. I need to study up on my mythology. Sorry.
1: Yeah, but anyway, they they could easily dabble more into uh, mythology um, or. We've had little hints of Star Wars, uh, whether it's a, a Star Wars ringtone back in like I don't know which season it was. But there was a, a Star Wars Star Star Wars ringtone on a smartphone. We have the reference to the Wookiee home planet in the season finale. Uh, we've seen Star Wars bedsheets in some of that, I, I believe. And, and so I think it'd be interesting if there was some sort of, uh, you know, force tie. And maybe Henry gets to use the force. That's when we jump the shark. Oh boy,
0: yeah. I I would be excited to see like I would love to see like a Three Musketeers story arc. Like it'd be fun to have hmm. some stuff from that period. Like if or like Man in the Iron Mask, because I feel like that's not as anachronistic that it can kind of occur in that time period. Granted, I feel like we kind of threw that stuff out the window when we saw Corella being able to exist in the same time period as the other Queens of Darkness. But I would still, you know, if we're going back to like that sort of like Princess Bride esque kind of nebulous medieval esque. Era. I think those are a couple of fun stories that incorporate action and in fun characters.
1: Yeah, I definitely. I definitely could see that. And um, there was something else that just popped into my mind that I was like, "Oh, but that was also a Disney franchise." But then it immediately slipped my mind. But something you said about the, the Three Musketeers. Oh, oh, um, you know, classic folklore: uh, Ichabod Crane, Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, uh, true. But but again, that was also taken by Disney at one point
0: yeah and, uh, and is now uh, a somewhat prominent show on fox
1: yes um yeah it's'cause it, it could go so many ways i I kind of think that it would be interesting to delve into some of the non cla non fairy tale non traditional disney type storylines like you said three musketeers would be interesting um or, or yeah, things, things of that ilk. I don't know if you go, you go a little bit Shakespearean would be kind of interesting if they start getting, you know, Midsummer Night's Dream or, or 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 okay, Hamlet would be depressing. Um,
0: yeah, I feel and, like I feel like <laughs> you, I, about ninety five percent of Shakespeare's plays are either too sad or has way too much sexual language in it or sexual connotations.
1: If you just support the characters, um, I think if it was if it's not Romeo and Juliet or Hamlet or Macbeth, and it's probably going to go over a lot of people's heads. And unfortunately, those are all tragedies. The histories are boring. Uh, the comedies. Hey,
0: Henry the <laughs> Fourth is one of my favorite. Kurt. Oh, he's, okay. Henry the Fourth, Part One, is fun. Oh, long live Falstaff.
1: Uh, well, we, we talked about potentially getting a hunchback. Uh, yeah. So that, you know they thought the common trope in some Shakespeare. So who who knows where it could go? But I, I like I said, I do hope that they we do get some new characters introduced, and that they're not just they don't just guss somebody, make him you know, make him around for like one episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, Kurt, you ready for a ding Mary kill around those along those same lines? Always it's from the great Nathan Bayless. Ding Mary kill once upon a time crossover edition. So in this case, uh, Mary means do a half season long crossover. Ding means do a one episode crossover, and kill means do no crossover. Uh, so, Nathan gave us a little bit of different stipulations for this since it'd be okay. kind of weird uh, to do those sorts of things to a story. Uh, but our choices are Harry Potter, Narnia, and Lord of the Rings.
1: Uh, I would have to marry Narnia. I'd have to. Ding <sighs> Lord of the Rings and kill Harry Potter. Ooh. Yeah, I'm. The only because. Of the, of the three, I, I mean, I, I, I went to Universal Studios two days ago, and I, we, you know, I went to Diagon Alley. I bought way too much Ravenclaw swag for myself. So I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. But that having been said, I just don't see it working with Once Upon a Time. So it's not, I'm not killing Harry Potter because I don't like Harry Potter. I said kill kill the Harry Potter franchise because I just don't see it working with Once Upon a Time, as well as some of the elements of the other two.
0: You, you are a Ravenclaw. That's what I like about you. You're the best Ravenclaw I know.
1: Uh, maybe am I the only one you know? You?
0: No, my my fiance is actually a bit of a Ravenclaw.
1: I mean, so you I'm, like me better than your fiance? No, you just said that, Mike Bloom. No, no, don't, don't tell her. Uh,
0: no, and I'm I'm saying that as a a, a pretty pretty big Hufflepuff. Uh, okay. If I'm not a Hufflepuff, I'm like a Fred and George esque you,
1: Gryffindor. You're gonna go on Neville Longbottom on us. Hey, you know what? Neville Longbottom got hot.
0: He started posing in magazines, so... You know what? I'm obviously I'm, happy whatever, to take that path.
1: That's what I was referring to. Are you going to start posing in magazines?
0: Yeah, well, you know what? Crack open your next edition of uh, National Geographic for Kids, and you might see a familiar face. Oh, no. Uh, so, so, I guess I'll go with mine. Yeah, I'm torn, because I love the Harry Potter franchise, but at the same time, and I don't mean to disparage once upon a time here, I... Uh, I don't necessarily want to give it like a half season story arc because I kind of I don't want the, these characters messing with them. You know, I don't want like can to show up to show up with Professor Professor Snape, even though that defies all sort of canonical logic. But I feel like it would kind of like sully the image a little bit. Not that it's sullied any other stories. And again, those come up as non canonical. But I would I would be fine dinging Harry Potter just to see how it would happen for one episode I'll marry Lord of the Rings because I think especially if you cross it over with the Enchanted Forest stuff, again, it all takes place in the same sort of nebulous medieval era uh, time period. So I think that would go really well. And plus, I mean, come on, Gimli, Son of Gloin with the with the dwarves, that's pretty incredible stuff. Uh, and so I'm going to kill Narnia. Uh, I don't have a problem with Narnia, but I think Disney has, has already had its time with Narnia. We have enough kid actors on the show. I think we're good.
1: See, whereas I think that there's already such a huge, rich tapestry of stories for Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. I think the only one you could get away with doing more than one episode of, because it's just, it's it, it's not so fresh in people's minds, would be Narnia. Also, we don't need 21 dwarves. That's way too many dwarves.
0: Well, we, we're not going to go with, with Hobbit era, Hobbit era dwarves i think maybe we'll take a uh, feely the the hot the inexplicably hot dwarf and we'll put him put him in there
1: okay okay um yeah it'll be but i don't see us going i don't see them going to any of those places <laughs> no May, <laughs> to be
0: maybe fair. maybe naria considering that i think it's still a disney property and i believe there was a, there's a new one coming and, out at some point
1: point. and it speaks directly to the idea of travel between worlds in a way that the other two franchises don't. And that's something that's already rich in the DNA. The only downside is that, um, is that the, the queen of Narnia if she was the ice queen or the snow queen, but we've kind of already had that happen. And she was like the main villain, at least in, you know, in the, in the first one. Um, but Aslan lion King, I don't know. That would, that, I guess that would be some great <laughs>
0: synergy where they can tie it all. Like, Oh, Aslan had a son. Now he's the king.
1: Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's, oh boy, I'm I'm just like imagining like Fawn singing Hakuna Matata, and my mind is exploding.
0: <laughs> oh my god! While still like in the snow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With his panpipes. I can't imagine him in anything but in the snow. Yeah, uh, so let's Nathan has another uh, interesting question here, and I I'll apologize for those of you out there that are not Survivor fans. We'll try We try not to cross the streams too much here on Once Upon a Time. So forgive us for the next few minutes. We're going to talk a little bit of reality TV. Nathan asked of all the Survivor players who come from Maine, which are Bob Crowley, Julie Berry, Ashley Underwood, Zoe Zanadakis and Dan Foley. Which do you think is most likely to secretly be from Storybrooke and which fairy tale characters do you think they are most likely to be? So two part question. We have those five survivors, Bob, Julie, Ashley Underwood, Zoe and Dan, which are which would be the most likely to come from Storybrooke? And if they do, what would their fairy tale equivalents be? Um. I'll I'll I mean, give I, I'll I'll give one. I'll say that I think I going back to the Robin Hood stuff, I think Dan is what's his name? Prince John, I think his name is. <laughs> uh, cuz we have already seen the Douche of Nottingham. And I think uh Prince John from what I remember is supposed to be like the very similar a very similar type and I feel like Dan yeah. Foley fits that perfectly.
1: See, I could see Bob Crowley being Merlin. I could see it too. I could
0: also see Bob Crowley being the professor from Tarzan. Do you remember that guy? <laughs>
1: Oh no! You know what? Never saw Tarzan. Ah, uh,
0: well, you know, oh. it might, might be. It might come up if we see someone swinging in next season. You may have to watch it quick.
1: And you know what? Now I'm just thinking Hercules, Disney movie, Greek god Titan. Yeah. I, I was I completely forgot that 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 was a thing that they'd already done that. Because um, I was also thinking, um, oh wait, but that's not Disney. Never mind, thinking?
0: Shrek. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's, that's DreamWorks, baby.
1: That is DreamWorks. Okay, then there goes Zoe as uh, as Princess Fiona. <laughs> um,
0: I would. I, how dare you? She works hard and she plays hard. Um, Princess Fiona. I could see. I could see Zoe being like if they do some more Cinderella stuff. I could see her being like a wicked stepsister, uh, but actually the really nice one that makes necklaces for everyone. I could see if we go along with the Hercules theme, I could see Julie Berry being like Meg from Hercules.
1: Yeah, there you go. I was trying to think like who's kind of like the, one of the tougher. Uh, Disney, quote unquote, princesses. Um, also, sorry, Pocahontas. Haven't seen that yet. Um, uh, yeah, it could be, could be. Um, and so that comes as everybody we who haven't we talked about
0: uh, Ashley uh, Underwood. Ashley I would say Underwood. let's uh, if I wish they had not had Gaston in the fairy tale worlds, because I would say let's make Boston Rob Gaston and make like Andrea, Natalie Tenarelli, and Ashley Underwood the three like silly girls. <laughs> I think their names are the three blonde girls that follow around Gaston and swoon over him.
1: There you go. That, that would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, so Kurt, we're at a, we're at a listener questions. Do you have any sort of final thoughts? Yeah. about this season of Once Upon a Time.
1: The thing I am actually looking forward to the most in season five is exploring the question of who's Lily's father. Who's the dragon baby daddy? That's what I'm interested in finding out. Um, yeah, why
0: don't we all watch several episodes of Mori to mentally prepare ourselves for the story arc?
1: Yeah, and I know that... Like, there. Um, quickly pull up Twitter here because I remember I was, I was thinking about this the other day and it was, yeah, Barry Wallace on Twitter, uh, suggested that, uh, Elliot from peach dragon might be the least father, which I thought was quite hilarious. Elliot was the, the titular dragon. In yeah. Peach I was going to say, so, so it, would, it,
0: would it still be, a, would it still be a giant 2d dragon though? Cause that's the only way I would go for it. If it's, if it's just that a giant is, 2d dragon in the middle of this real world,
1: there's a flashback sequence where it's like this full CGI Maleficent dragon, and then this two D like cartoony. Dope-y. That might be the moment it jumps the shark. That would be yeah, or jumps the dragon. So I mean, I, I, so I mean, the fact that, uh, and it's and it's kind of funny, and it's slightly jump the sharky. The fact that Maleficent doesn't know who. Lily's father is because he was just a dragon and he looked like every other dragon. Uh, so she didn't know what, what does his that human even
0: mean? How many dragons exist in this world that like, they're like, Oh, it can't like, but even if it was like one of three, I think those are pretty good odds. It's not like there even, are like 50 dragons that exist in the world.
1: Or, or I maybe mean, it's not that he looked like every other dragon, but the fact that she just didn't know what his human form was necessarily, which apparently means they, they, um, they got it on as dragons and not in, and as humans. Uh, I think that that's kind of an interesting question. So I'm I'm looking forward to, and maybe that's something we haven't fully explored. I, and you know, we're already you know you know an hour and a half into this, uh, or nearly uh, yeah, um, is conjecturing which characters that we either ha- which characters in fairy tales or stories that we haven't yet seen could potentially have been the dragon that Maleficent uh, had Lily with. So that's something I'm actually I'm actually most interested in in that side story for season five.
0: I'm really a I think we again, we mentioned this in the the last podcast we did, but I think Emma becoming the dark one is such a game changer for so many reasons. So in spite of some trepidations that we may have about what they're going to do with it, I think it's going to be really, really interesting. And it's going to bring to life her relationships again with the main cast, which, again, the unfortunate thing about bringing in external characters is that you don't really deal with the internal relationships. So now, especially that she's like made up with her parents, she's told Hook that she's loved him and she's sacrificed herself for Regina. It'll be exciting to see like how those relationships come to test. And I'm really excited to see what happens to Gold now. I mean, I think going back to, to Brent's question, which we brought up a while ago, I I wonder what this post-exercised Gold is going to be like. And I'm wondering if he's going to be a completely good person, if he's going to be like a zombie, if he's going to still have some evil in him. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So that being said, Kurt, it seems like a a long time coming. You know, we've been talking about this since like July, but we are officially done (laughs) with once upon a time season four. How do you feel?
1: (sighs) You going to Disney world? (laughs) Um, uh, Not for another couple months. Um, You know, it's, this is like the first, this is like, we're finally caught up. I mean, I guess technically we were caught up and uh, we had that, we had actually quite a, quite a break between the, the mid season finale. Yeah. We had, and, like, we had a few the, months. Yeah. So, it so it, it feels, it, it actually just feels a bit like that. I, it, I, I felt more, I think that back in December when we had that mid season finale, that was kind of a, this is our first break from once upon a time in quite a while. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, the kickoff of season five where we don't we get to, we get to start a fresh new season not having just watched you know 66 episodes in three weeks yeah. so it's, it's so I, i'm looking forward to to kind of to that um i think like you said i, I think right behind who's lily's father i think i'm right up there is like well, how does this change gold and his motivations for for the new season i mean you're less so a dark one, Emma that's actually a distant third for me i'd say that those are the number one and number two what i'm looking forward to so it, it should be it should be some uh something to look forward to over the course of the summer
0: yeah so kurt speaking of the summer uh why don't you give out your twitter handle and then let the audience know exactly where people can find you over the summer <coughs> and what you okay. are working on in the rob has a planet atmosphere
1: uh well i am still at kurt clark on twitter uh And myself and Mark Solera, Don's Bread on Twitter, uh, we are we have actually been started covering Big Brother UK already. It kicked off just this past uh, just this past two Tuesdays ago. And we've done We did a launch night coverage. We did a week one coverage and we kind of cover the week's events because it airs every single day. Uh, we, we, over the weekends, we cover everything that happened up through Friday of that week. And that goes for about, I believe, 11 weeks. So we're doing that. And then I think there's like a month long break and then it gets into Celebrity Big Brother UK. And hopefully I'll be back with Mallory Baisley, uh, to, to cover that. And if not her, then I will find somebody, but yeah, Big Brother UK international, the Clark curse has actually not kicked that off yet. So that's, that's, that's a good thing.
0: I feel like Big Brother UK is also one of those shows where there are no shades of gray. There are clear heroes and villains as perceived by the audience.
1: Yes. Um, Get Rumble st- out. Get Rumble out. It's, it's still early enough where uh, you're you're figuring that out a little bit. Um, and in fact, like tomorrow is the first uh, actual live eviction from the show in terms of somebody getting voted out. Uh, but it, it should be interesting. It's it's been a good time. It's a, again. It's a bit different. It's a lot different than Big Brother U.S. and it's quite different from Big Brother Canada. But if you kind of just like the social experiment of seeing people living in a house together and have Big Brother completely mess with them through all sorts of twists. Uh, It's a lot of fun.
0: Two Second David. second, David. I'm just coming up with as many cheers as possible. Uh, As always, you can find me at a Mike Bloom type on Twitter. So here on Post Show Recaps, uh, Jessica, Lisa, and I are continuing our weekly coverage of Orphan Black. We're about halfway through the season now. And if you also happened to see the movie Pitch Perfect 2 this past weekend when it opened, Jessica Lisa and I also did a little bit of coverage there. Uh, Actually, if you're listening to this, uh, by the time we're recording this, I'll be doing a bunch of stuff that's coming out over the weekend. I think I'll be doing some coverage with AJ Mass on the recently premiered uh Wayward Pines the M Night Shyamalan show that might look the weird like it might make the weird stuff on this show uh look like blue's clues in terms of how uh how tame it is in comparison. Uh and I'll be doing a bunch of other stuff over the weekend and coming up I'm going to be hopefully starting some weekly coverage of a show starting in the summer that I think a good amount of you guys will enjoy. I've been asking for it in a long time, but I won't reveal any details until then. And on the main, Rob has a podcast feed. I'll be doing a couple things on there, most likely coming up in the next few weeks. And hopefully, don't write it down completely yet in pen, but I'm pretty sure Rob Sessardino and I will be returning this summer to cover the ninth season of Last Comic Standing. But Kurt, this is this is the last time we're, we're going to podcast probably until the fall. Uh, thank you. Thank you for, I'll say on air, thank you so much for for doing this with me.
1: Well, oh, thank you for having me along on this ride. It's yeah, and I,
0: and I do really want to sincerely thank our listening audience as well. I think I speak on behalf of Kurt and myself when I say that when we were talking about this over the summer, I don't know how sure we, all, we were that we'd actually get a crowd to listen to this, uh, that we're devoted to Once Upon a Time. I think there were a handful of... P- rhap patrons that we knew that 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 watched the show but we weren't even sure if they were going to listen to podcasts about it and what we have grown is a is a nice little community a, a slowly growing beanstalk of a, of a community that has culminated in lots of great feedback uh, you guys have already be, always been so receptive on social media talking to us really getting the conversation going uh so from the bottom of my heart uh my white heart hopefully I don't know how sure. evil I feel today uh, thank you guys really Thank you a lot. And that this makes me so much more excited for what's to come in season five. I know we'll be taking a bit of a three month break, but hey, we have all these episodes. If you happen to be listening to this for the first time and you have to listen to any of our previous podcasts, you have a lot of catching up to do uh and for a fun game hey why don't you watch rewatch season four and listen to the podcast and see how wrong yeah. we were about certain things
1: this is, this, this, honestly this is a strange place for you to start people who are just listening to this for the first time
0: i'll i'm mike and this is kurt nice to meet yeah. you out there uh so to finish things off for the season kurt do we have a final hashtag to give to the people who have made it this far through the feedback show
1: uh, I got a couple. Um, I, I think Disney Tourette's might be too tough to spell, so I, I had it narrowed down to uh, Dragon Baby Daddy and Magical Puberty, which is actually a safe. Hashtag. I looked
0: it up. Oh, let's let's go with magical <laughs> puberty then, because let's let's snatch onto that uh, before it gets taken for some reason over the summer. Who knows? Sci-fi has weird fo- programming out there. Uh, so yeah, let's go with hashtag magical puberty. Uh, make sure you're 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 locked in for poster recaps in general. We might be ending, but there's still great coverage of Game of Thrones going on, as well as the Orphan Black, as I mentioned before. And uh, SNL is having a very similar show to this coming up next week. So if you're a fan of SNL, check that out as well. But again. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this season. You've made it such a joy. Thank you, Kurt, for being such a fantastic co-host. Hashtag magical puberty. If you've made it all the way through, we will see you guys in September. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.